Welcome to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Casey Birnbaum, who is the Senior Enterprise Director of HIM, Coding, and CDI at Peace Health in Vancouver, Washington. She's here to talk with us about a topic that's getting more important every year in Revenue Cycle, and that is succession planning. Casey, thank you so much for being here. I'm very happy to be here today and and talking to you about a topic that I'm very, very passionate about, Alexandra. And in in my career, um, succession planning is something that, you know, I feel that I have done, you know, a a good job with as far as identifying um, a leader that can cross over um, and into all areas of the middle revenue cycle, which I have been responsible for, for probably the last 30 years. So identifying, you know, who is that leader that can take um, my position in that senior role and be able to um, oversee and manage coding, uh, clinical documentation improvement is really still in, in its infancy. It's only been around about, you know, 18 years. So compared to some of the other functional areas, it hasn't been around that long. And typically, um, leaders in the middle revenue cycle also oversee and manage health information management. And there are many functions within HIM that really closely, um, you know, are, are extremely pivotal to making sure that coding and CDI can do its job effectively as far as getting um, documents, critical documents needed for final coding. Um, available to the coder, um, and then certainly on the professional fee side too, which is really part of that scope, um, and increasingly more important probably in the last eight, nine years with all the mergers and acquisitions and uh, with the expansion of revenue cycle on in the pro fee space as well. But when it comes to succession planning, you know, when I um, identify a leader, and and that certainly just was the case at Peace Health, where I identified um, an individual who had cross-functional responsibility and, you know, had some rather deep experience in pockets of the revenue cycle and, you know, had a wonderful educational background, had worked at an IDN that, you know, is across three states. So I thought that that individual would really be able, um, you know, to step in, um, in the event that, you know, I were to retire or move to another organization. So, um, you know, I think it's first, the first things first is to, um, you know, identify that leader. Maybe you have someone among your ranks who could, um, you know, ascend to that senior role, or um, maybe you are in a position like I was um, to be able to recruit and identify the best person for that role. And I did have some incumbents that were interested in my recent um, position that would be a successor for my position someday. And, um, 
identified again someone who had um, a lot of bench strength and who was able to transcend all of those different areas and worked again at a, at an integrated delivery system that you know had Community Connect um, partners as well. So, can you tell us a little bit about your succession planning philosophy, especially since you have done this at multiple organizations? What are some key strategies that you've discovered for doing this successfully? And what are you really looking for in those people that you mentioned that you identify? Great question. So in terms of um, what some of the key strategies are and, and, um, and, and really enabled um, me to be successful when I walk away from a role through permission, promotion or other opportunities is I really needed to um, identify if that individual was able to kind of look beyond their own um, areas and really rise from being an analytical focused leader to someone who could also identify strategies, innovative approaches, um, be able to um, you know, sit there from a big picture perspective, you know, using their dashboards and, um, you know, other key performance indicators and then be able to swoop down if it appears as though um, there's an area that's struggling. And then, you know, really being able to um, identify from the leader who's responsible for that, for that area you know, what are the barriers? What are some of the things that I can do to help um, really be able to address that hurdle, be able to um, identify maybe a different way of, of, of doing something, really look at the process, look at maybe benchmarks um, and, you know, other leading organizations and what they have been able to do to tackle a specific challenge. And, you know, once I've done that with that leader, then, you know, we sit back and evaluate um, and, and, and try to get them to, to be able to take the lead in that next iteration. Because we're all going to hit, you know, speed bumps along our journey to excellence. And so what I really try to do is to really um, build that leader's capacity to be able to do that, you know, analytics and take that to the next level to look for um, innovative strategies and approaches to be able to really conquer um, that particular challenge and, and really be that leader in the moment. And then, you know, as it trickles down to their managers, you know, they also need to um, allow their managers to step up. Um, you know, ask critical questions, um, thought-provoking questions so that they can identify solutions without that leader spoon-feeding, um, you know, what they think it should be when, in fact, maybe that the manager who's closest to that work stream can identify and tackle and address um, those obstacles. And so as I look at, you know, my current directors, um, who report up to me in all of my functional areas. I'm really working on 
on coaching them. They probably don't even realize what I'm doing, but really trying to, um, again, even though I might have some, you know, what I think are bright ideas, I would like to hear from them. And I'd like them to walk through um, what they think would make the most sense. And, um, and there are some leaders, um, and I recently did a little bit of a reorganization because I did have some leaders that um, I would say, you know, were um, kind of used to more conventional methods of leadership and weren't really comfortable um, you know, in the current environment where there's so much, you know, uncertainty and it's okay not to have the answers. None of us do. And to be able to be comfortable with, um, you know, what might be, um, you know, something that, you know, we're not as familiar with. Um, and then sometimes it can be scary implementing new technology that, um, you know, might actually, you know, address some historical issues that we have. It's not always about throwing people at a problem. It's very easy. Um, in fact, in one of my areas um, in identity management, we, we identified that, you know, there was a lot of work coming at us. And so immediately the leader says, I need seven more people. And it's like, well, let's look at what we're doing. Let's make sure that we're using all of our EHR technology to our the fullest capacity. Let's look at what other organizations are doing to tackle this. And sometimes, you know, you get some pushback from leaders that think, oh no, it's just a it's just a resource issue. It couldn't be anything else. I know that we're doing everything we can do. So they become very closed around that. So I think that, you know, just getting back to your the the philosophy really um identifying those core competencies in today's you know business healthcare leadership that will be able to um take us to the next level so that critical thinking discovery research and and really um you know looking at some six sigma um techniques as well to be able to really identify what is creating that particular challenge or backlog or snafu. You mentioned a couple of them already, but what are some succession planning challenges? Are there ever managers who are like, I don't want to give up my star employee for you? Absolutely. Um, in, in terms of being able to promote um, or hire from within, um, you know, certainly that can be, you know, a lot of push-pull there. Um, I recently promoted um, one of my managers to a director position. And, you know, there certainly was some, you know, angst, for, not, not necessarily from, from that individual. I think she felt that she was definitely ready for that opportunity but um, we did have some leaders, um, senior leaders that were like, well, is she really ready for this? I mean, they just didn't quite envision her in that role and felt like there was a lot for her to learn. So um, I really spent some time with um, the senior leaders and discussed with them the, um, you know, that I, you know, this will be, I didn't have a lot of runtime prior to her promotion simply because it happened 
you know, a lot quicker than we thought with um, a, a director who um, identified another opportunity. So, um, and, and unfortunately that individual, unbeknownst to me, hadn't spent a lot of time in with succession planning. So when that individual decided to retire, it's like, well, there isn't anybody who can take my spot. Um, which, and, and being a newer senior leader to the organization, um, and this was earlier because I've, I've been at Peace Health only for um, a year and three months, uh, that was a little bit surprising to me. Um, and that director was reporting to another leader that reported up to me. So I needed to um, make some really, you know, not quick adjustments, but I really needed to put together um, a plan um, to help, you know, coach and mentor this individual to make sure that they recognize that I was there to support them. And, you know, at times I would be asking some some questions and, you know, providing that just-in-time guidance in order to enable her to be successful. And I'd like to report today that, you know, I've seen tremendous growth. And I think, um, you know, this individual has really stepped up to the plate and demonstrated to other leaders in the organization and, and those that were a little bit on the fence, you know, saying, you know, I, you know, this is a great opportunity for her, but not sure that, that this, you know, a good time um, to make this transition. I think that they are just excited um, about it. And then I've also heard from her peers and, you know, they just feel that some of the resistance that was um, kind of emanated from, you know, kind of the previous more hierarchical um, leader that they're seeing great collaboration and willingness to step in you know, at all different levels within our revenue cycle and across coding and CDI. So it's really been a win-win. And, you know, I'll continue to be there to, you know, to help with that. There's still some strategic pieces that I really feel that all of my um, directors need to um, kind of think in terms of kind of big picture. I think that, um, you know, that would be an area of growth, but you know, certainly not um, not unusual, especially with the middle revenue cycle with coding and CDI, where you're so task-based and, you know, you're looking at that individual case level. Um, but um, I really feel these leaders have made tremendous strides in, in the more analytical approach, best practice approach, embracing technology, and contributing to our strategic planning. And it sounds like so much of succession planning has to do with not only identifying the people who do have those task-based skills, but also leadership skills. And also it requires leadership skills from you too, which I kind of feel like sometimes slides under the radar a little bit for revenue cycle people. Do you find that that's the case too? Like, are you cultivating leaders as well? Absolutely. I really um, have found that in my career that I didn't necessarily you know, have senior leaders that really coached and mentored me. And, and in fact, um, I, I hate to say this, but um, what I've encountered, um, and even um, as I collaborated with other organizations, 
is that oftentimes um, the senior leaders were so metrics driven and cash in the door driven that um, they didn't really care what you did to get, you know, to improve those metrics. They just wanted them improved yesterday. So, you know, I haven't found a lot of motivational leaders, at least in my career. And and maybe it's just because of the individuals, you know, could be individual based. But I also, um, you know, as I talk to those that would be in a position to really um, kind of lead it at the very senior level, those functional areas, a lot of times, you know, it makes sense because some of those folks, um, you know, are next in line for the senior CFO position, or um, a lot of individuals have come from um, the PFS ranks and kind of worked their way up, or maybe they were just in one lane of revenue cycle. Maybe they were just on the access side. And typically, HIM coding and CDI and Profi coding are really new areas for them. So it's a little bit scary for some of the senior leaders that my position would report to because they've really never, you know, encountered this before. And there's a lot of physician um, interplay. Um, you know, I, I I meet a lot with our physician leaders in in terms of what we can do to improve, you know, documentation capture and improve our observe versus expected ratio to help our quality scores um, and all the um, ways in which, you know, coded data is used and um, how we get compared externally. So I think a lot of that just stems from just a lack of being able to, um, you know, really assist at a deep level. And, and, you know, the nice thing is that I've had senior leaders who really trusted that I would do right for the organization and I've demonstrated some excellent results. So that has been truly encouraging, but I always include my senior most leadership in helping to identify, um, you know, being part of the panel, you know, getting their sign off, who, who do they think just from purely a leader perspective, who would be the right candidate if we're lucky enough to be able to choose that individual. Um, and, and again, I love to have a rich panel of candidates to choose from when it comes to kind of the next in line for my position to make sure that they also see what I'm seeing in terms of the ability for if it's an internal leader to rise up to that occasion to be able to step in for my role or if it's an external individual who's interested in that role. And I remind the panel prior to their selection, because I, you know, we were recently in this position that, you know, this would be a successor position. So it's really important that we find someone who, um, you know, could step up to the plate for middle revenue cycle and HIM, who has that strategic, you know, thinking and, you know, who has, you know, an innovative approach to how we might address an issue, you know, the ability to collaborate with other leaders throughout the organization to really lead strategic initiatives, you know, all of those areas. 
We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us for more with Casey when we come back. Hi, this is Melanie Blackman, Strategy Editor at Health Leaders. I'm here to tell you to check out the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast, which drops every first Wednesday of the month. On my show, I sit down with women executives who share insights on important healthcare topics, their leadership experience, and how others can climb up the organizational ladder. Subscribe and listen to the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Welcome back. We're talking with Casey Birnbaum of Peace Health. Casey, you mentioned something earlier that someone said, no one can do my job. Do you feel like that is a common thought among revenue cycle leaders? Oh, gosh, that's a, <laughs> that's a, a, a great question. And I really think that that perhaps stems from that individual's, you know, a little bit of insecurity or feeling as though, um, you know, they, they're irreplaceable. And, and hopefully that, you know, isn't in the case in your organization, if you're listening today, but I, I think that leadership skills and ability and, you know, being able to get proven results, I think that that probably is an overlooked area in revenue cycle. I think that in terms of, of hiring, you know, managers, directors, and senior leaders in revenue cycle, a lot of times the focus was on the technical skills and really understanding, you know, how to manage that book of inventory, um, again, being very task and functionally focused. Um, so I think that, you know, as the revenue cycle lanes have matured, um, I really feel that many senior leaders are taking a step back and really trying to, to hire for, for those soft skills that will really enable them to um, collaborate with other areas, be able to, you know, listen to their teams, be able to, um, to really figure out strategically what would be best for the organization in meeting the goals and, and metrics. But I, when, when I encounter a leader who says that, that, you know, nobody can do this job as well as I can do that, that really, um, you know, kind of, you know, I take stock of that. And, um, and that's an, an opportunity that I would identify for coaching and really identifying whether this is the right leader for this moment, you know, when we are, um, you know, managing in uncertain times and, you know, we have to pivot quickly and look at other ways of doing business. And some of the conventional approaches don't necessarily work. Um, and some of those leaders oftentimes are perceived as being really closed-minded. But um, it really isn't fair to the team that's left behind, you know, to say that there isn't anybody that can do the job. And, and in fact, you know, that wasn't the case. There was um, an individual that stepped up that felt like, you know, this was her moment. Um, and these positions don't come around every day. So um, that was an exciting opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I was really surprised once I stepped in, 
and worked with um, the new director um, recently promoted the fact that there was so much that I would have thought would have been transitioned because there was some, you know, decent transition time. Um, I was told it had been transitioned and lo and behold, it hadn't. So there was a lot of catch up that needed to be done. And, you know, you you never want to set anyone up for failure, but I, I did not feel that that was fair to um, the new leader. So um, we put in a lot of systems in place and then I challenged her, you know, let's identify who your successor will be so we can put together a plan and strategy so that we're not, you know, left um, in a situation where we're all scratching our heads trying to figure out what do we do next. Can you talk more about that structure of the succession planning and the timing of the succession planning? I, I feel like maybe you think, okay, I'm a couple years from retiring, so I need to identify my successor. But really, you could be injured, you could be out of commission for six months and unexpectedly. Is it something that you kind of always need to be doing? And do you need to have those people in place ahead of time? That's a that's a great question. And I feel that succession planning needs to begin the day that you enter an organization and in your position. And, you know, succession planning needs to cascade down as well. So um, if there is a manager or leader that, like you said, you know, could be out of commission for a while, you just never know what, you know, what's going to come next. So it's of critical importance that we identify and and really go through the steps, you know, that I communicated today, articulated today, to make sure that, you know, we're not without a critical leader, that we don't have gaps in leadership. So if I have to leave the country for three months, it's not going to put us in a position where peace health is high and dry and can't continue to function. And that really shows, I mean, when, when that has happened in, in um, our organization, we know we re- recently had a, a key, um, our education manager for the profi side, she had a baby. So she was out for a couple of months. And so we um, put together a plan just to fill her role. And, um, and we started that you know, six months before her maternity leave so that um, we wouldn't miss a beat. And we knew that at the time of her departure, we were also implementing um, some new technology with computer-assisted coding at the enterprise level. So we really needed to um, make sure that we filled that, that role. And, you know, this individual also is responsible for coding training. So, so we had to quickly you know, pivot and make sure that we were we were fully covered. But again, that shows the the successful leader in any organization is one who's the next level is able to step up to the plate and assure, you know, a, a seamless transition. You know, all it takes is an out of office to point to someone who is in charge and to make sure that we set you know, that next level of leadership up for success in the event that someone can't can't come in. You've been doing this a long time at multiple organizations. Are there things, you know, strategies that you know work? And are there strategies that you have found 
do not work when it comes to succession planning? That's a great question. I think that sometimes in my career, I have identified someone who I thought would be an excellent leader and seem to have the characteristics and traits that I've described on this call. And then for some reason, um, and, and it was in one organization, so it was after I left, and I continued to coach and mentor this individual, but somehow they became a different type of leader, um, more of what, what I would term a micromanager. And so I did hear um, from some of my previous you know, managers and others that, gosh, this person really changed. We don't know what happened, but, you know, we really thought she could step up to the plate, but um, somehow she turned into um, the leader or boss that, you know, I never wanted. So, you know, I, that was surprising to me. And, you know, I did have some follow-up with this individual. I continued to see her um, professionally. And I don't think she perceived herself the way others were um, perceiving her. So I encourage those individuals that were reaching out to me to try to give her a little bit of feedback, you know, to see if, if in fact, you know, that would help with that. Um, ultimately, this individual um, decided to leave the organization. She really didn't stay in that position as long as I thought she would. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes people just, you know, maybe the, maybe the responsibility was too much. Maybe they were trying too hard to prove themselves. Um, uh, maybe they were so into, um, the numbers, the key performance indicators and a result, they were f forgetting about, you know, you have to treat your people well and, you know, kind of show them, you know, kind of paint a picture of success, but don't, you know, try to micromanage that team um, in a way that is going to get in the way of their success. So I think that that was um, definitely a, a bit of a disappointment. And in one other organization, again, I had coached and mentored and encouraged that individual. This was after I, I left the organization. Um, once that position came became open again um, to put their name in the hat and they did but then you know life got in the way there were other priority priorities on a personal level and that individual just you know was not proving themselves as, as an effective leader and ultimately left so I mean sometimes we can put the best um, succession plans and you know identify that you know, amazing leader um, that, you know, can definitely fill your shoes and then some and, and, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But, um, you know, you can only do so much at the end of the day. And um, I always feel good about being able to, you know, set up the organization for success. Um, and, you know, and I've always told my old bosses as well at different organizations that, you know, I'll continue to keep in touch if there's a question, if there's, you know, something that everybody is scratching their heads and can't figure out. And maybe if it's something that, you know, I can, you know, help lend some support, I'm always there for you. 
when you're identifying people for these leadership roles, are you letting them letting them know that you're identifying them for leadership roles or are they coming up to you and saying, I'd like to be considered for this? Or are you posting these opportunities somewhere? Like how, what's the communication like? I'm very direct with that. And, um, and I let them know that they, in fact, you know, would be an excellent individual to take my spot if I were to leave the organization. So I'm always, you know, very straightforward. And, you know, I start, you know, giving them, you know, increasing responsibility. Um, and then, you know, they bounce ideas off of me. And then we, you know, kind of huddle together and, you know, come up with maybe, you know, other approaches or, um, you know, just really adding on to the plan that they have built. So that is really part of my coaching and mentoring strategy and approach. You know, also, some, sometimes I have to sell it to my boss as well. So in one of the organizations in which I worked, when I identified that, you know, I was, you know, had this other opportunity I wanted to pursue, um, and they, um, you know, asked me who would be great for that spot, and then I identify the leader, and, you know, in one situation, um, my boss said, well, I just don't see her as very strategic. And I said, well, you know, I, I really, um, you know, let me work with her. Let me um, give her some projects. And um, I had given a very lengthy um, uh, resignation. So I had some time to do that. And um, at the time I left, he still wasn't sure. Um, so she was in an interim. He put her in an interim role. Ultimately, she did get the um, position. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, of really selling it to your leader as well. And the same was true with um, the recent promotion of an in individual to a director position. It was about convincing senior leadership that this person could really rise to the occasion and that I would be there to set her up for success. Finally, as you mentioned earlier, the people who are listening to this podcast are people who are in the same position as you, leadership roles within revenue cycles. What are some things that they get wrong about succession planning? And what are some things that you really want them to leave with after they've finished listening? Oh, gosh. Well, I think in summary, I think that everyone, just think about this, everyone's replaceable. You know, although we feel that we have put our heart and soul in our positions and that we bring unique skills and and talent to our positions and to the organization, you know, ultimately, you know, there are other folks out there, you know, that can take our place. Their approaches may be different, their philosophy may be a bit a little bit different, but you know, at at the end of the day, they they could dig in and do what's necessary to um, promote strategies and to enable the organization to reach, you know, new heights in all areas of the revenue cycle. So I think it's incumbent upon us as senior leaders to really um, develop a deep talent pool to provide opportunities to enable others to act and to lead by example. Casey, it's been so wonderful talking with you. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us. 
Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and privilege to be discussing a topic that I feel so passionate about. And thank you listeners for joining us on the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of patients and each other.